Phineas is making his voice heard. If you care about these issues enough, here is a direct and fast way to articulate that. Now, why are you voting? And how are you going to make sure your vote is counted? There are lots of questions this year, like how to register, vote by mail, and how to safely vote in person. That's why Facebook created the Voting Information Center. Get information from election authorities and experts at facebook.com slash voting info center. And don't miss the new podcast from iHeartRadio and Facebook called Why I'm Voting. iHeartRadio's Why I'm Voting Countdown to Election Day. Your vote is your voice. Quibi is a new streaming service with fresh original stories that unfold in minutes. With over 100 spooky new episodes for Halloween, they've got the blood-curdling screams to last you every day this October. Their Quick Bites of Fright collection is made for our fans. They've got classic murder mysteries, but also have fun new concepts that explore true crime in the worlds of home renovation and even fashion. Download Quibi in the App Store today to get streaming. That's Quibi, spelled Q-U-I-B-I. Hey everyone, it's your host, Philip Holloway here. Before we get into this episode and in acknowledgement of this time of protest and unrest, I wanted to provide some resources for people looking for ways to affect meaningful, positive change in the criminal justice system. Here at Sworn Podcast, we have worked closely with the California Innocence Project, the Georgia Innocence Project, the Pennsylvania Innocence Project, and FAM, F-A-M-M, formerly Families Against Mandatory Minimum Sentencing. I can personally attest that these organizations are doing incredible, much-needed work on some of the problems of the criminal justice system. I encourage you to take a look at them for yourself and support them in any way that you can. At your local level, Take a look at the track records of officials in your area and decide whether or not you support their decisions and let your feelings be known with your vote. That's the most direct line between those officials and those that they serve. I really encourage you to look closely at the judges, the sheriffs, the district attorneys, and the city officials who directly impact how justice is done for you and your community. If you have any questions, our phone line is open at 404-410-0441. Thank you for listening. If you will place your left hand on the Bible and raise your right hand, and please repeat after me, I do solemnly swear. We, the jury in the above entitled action, find the defendant guilty of the crime. It makes no sense. It doesn't fit. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. We all took the same oath of office. We are all bound by that common commitment to support and defend the Constitution, to bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and to faithfully discharge the duties of our office. Do you solemnly swear or affirm that the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? From Tenderfoot TV in Atlanta and iHeartMedia, this is Sworn. I'm your host, Philip Holloway. Hi, Sworn listeners. We're coming to you today in between seasons with a couple of special announcements. First off, we're happy to announce that Sworn Season 2 will be released wide and for free this summer right here wherever you get your podcasts. There's going to be some stuff that might sound familiar, but we've also got brand new episodes, new experts, and new stories to tell. We hope you'll join us. In the meantime, I know my life as a lawyer and as a citizen has been turned completely upside down by the spread of the novel coronavirus or COVID-19, and I know I'm not alone. We've put together this special bonus episode to look at how this pandemic has affected members of the legal system and the justice community. We want to discuss what happens when matters of life and liberty get put on pause. As you might imagine, We recorded all of these interviews remotely, safely, over the phone or on the internet. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear how COVID-19 affected me and my family in a very personal and not-so-pleasant way.
we spoke with a good friend of mine, Michael LaScala. Michael is a criminal defense lawyer here in the metropolitan Atlanta area. And like me, Mike has seen a dramatic change in the way he does business. There's a joke in, in our business that you're either a writer or you're a fighter. I'm not a writer. I'm a fighter. So I go to court and we deal with cases inside of court. I would be in court anywhere from three to four days a week, whether it's uh, motions or arraignments or you know trials or whatever it is. I have not been to court now in six weeks and I haven't had any dry cleaners for the first time in 20 years. When this COVID thing got serious, my staff was pretty on top of it and tried to do more phone interviews. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. We pretty much shut it down. I've had client fact this morning, I had a client say, hey, I want my son to come see you. He's a client. I said, I'm just not taking interviews right now. I'm not doing anything face to face. And she completely understood. But ultimately, I do want to get back to that. I just don't know if it's safe at this point. Certainly don't want the staff to have any anxiety with people they don't know. I'm here at the office. I'm here today and, you know, working on cases that are being prepped for trial, which probably will never go to trial, at least this year. But ultimately, there's nothing else to do. So you want to be productive. You want to do something. So you just continue to work the case and work the case and work the case. We are directed by the Georgia Supreme Court. Justice Melton, who is the chief judge, sent out an order. And he did what was in the best interest of everyone, which is to shut it down. In fact, this now we're going, I think, till if I remember the date correctly, it's June 15th or something along those lines. We're effectively shut down for three months. My clients call me all the time and say, what are we going to do? You know, how do we handle this? Said, There's nothing you can do. You know, not that we ever would do it, but you couldn't go in there and plead guilty to all the charges. Just, there's nothing you can do. 95% of my, my practice is in Fulton County. And in Fulton County, it is Grand Central Station any day of the week. I mean, people packed onto elevators. I and mean, you may have to wait sometimes 15, 20 minutes to catch an elevator because it's too crowded, you can't get on. Those are the what I've dealt with for 20 years of practice. And I don't see how that's going to change unless you stagger it. But everybody wants their day in court. I mean, you've got civil litigants, you've got contract disputes, you've got divorces, you've got medical malpractice, you've got arraignments, you've got first appearances, you've got motions, you've got everything under the sun and everybody's case is important. How do you figure out who's gonna go first? Do we start with the backlog? Do we start what's going moving forward and figure out what to do with the backlog? We've got great leadership down there, and I think the right thing will be done, but it's certainly gonna be a headache for all the players involved. There's an assistant district attorney, a deputy district attorney I was on the phone with yesterday, trying to work on a case that we're supposed to have a Zoom meeting in uh, in two weeks. And I said, you know, you down there by yourself? He goes, there's three of us down there. Now in Fulton County District Attorney's Office, they have over 100, I think it's like 120 lawyers. And there's three of them down there. The problem, though, is they don't have the file. They may have, be able to, to look at something electronically if I send it to them. But district attorneys are always hesitant to make a firm commitment about anything until they've reviewed the file diligently. And I can't argue with that. I'm starting to see more so now in the last week than even the last five previous weeks is I've got a lot of solicitors and ADAs that are starting to reach out and say, hey, we need to start putting this on our radar. You know, everybody understands there's gonna be a tsunami of cases hitting their desk. You know, unless they wanna stay 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next 36 months, we got to start chipping away at this block because they're not going anywhere. They're not gonna dismiss the cases and I'm not pleading to them. So we're gonna to have to see what's the reasonable resolution that we can get done under the circumstances. A deal that I may not have gotten three months ago, is certainly going to be on the table now. As a defense attorney, Michael represents many clients who are currently in jail or even in prison awaiting their day in court. I asked him how those clients are doing during this crisis and whether any of them have gotten any special permission to go home. 
we were successful in federal court to get a release for an inmate just recently. So the motions are being filed and the judges are giving them their attention. It's just some cases, I understand the severity of it. They're just not comfortable doing it. I don't know if I agree with it, but I certainly understand it. We have one that uh, it's a very serious case that we've just been unsuccessful in getting him out. In fact, he caught the coronavirus while he's at the Fulton County Jail. It's horrific. It's him and another gentleman who also has the virus stuck in there. I mean, he's fearful for his life. When you're in jail, you worry about things exponentially. And is he gonna get the treatment he deserves and all those things? Now, he's a young guy and hopefully he'll pull through, which I don't doubt he will, but certainly there's some stress and some real fear amongst his family. I used to get, I don't know, five, 10 phone calls a day from different potential clients. We probably get five to 10 calls a week now. I mean, it just doesn't exist. I was hired this morning on a case. It's the first larger case I've gotten in at least two months. My law partner, Manny, he does primarily, but in addition to state court, he does many federal cases. And so federal court, for whatever reason, seems to be just ramped up and moving a lot quicker. In fact, he was in federal court yesterday on a case. In Fulton or any other jurisdiction, say a motions day, you may be first, you may be last, but you and the other hundred people in the courtroom are gonna be sitting around until your case is resolved. That's just the way that it works because the numbers are so overwhelming in state court versus federal court. We also discussed some of the other day-to-day effects of this legal shutdown that Michael and his clients are experiencing. There are things that have collateral consequences. Even if you have an arrest on your record, there are sometimes that are job implications or promotions and things of that nature, and you need a resolution. Everybody has the right to a jury trial. This is one of the more regular calls I'm getting right now. I missed a traffic citation. There's a warrant for my arrest. I need to go down and clean it out. No, you, you can't. There is literally nowhere to go down and clean it out with. So someone may have a suspended license and they can't go and get a regular license because they have to clear up the case. You may have immigration issues where, oh, my immigration lawyer needs a certified disposition of this case from 10 years ago. You can't get it. The clerk's office isn't there to happen. Most of the functions of the court are real severe, as in like temporary protective orders. So a spouse won't get injured or killed by their, you know, delinquent husband. The bond hearings, first appearances. I have a client right now that has a DUI, but they didn't take him to jail yet. So as soon as this is over, he has to go turn himself in and bond out. I asked him if he's seen an increase or decrease in any of the types of cases that he's been getting calls about. Unfortunately, as everyone knows, um, use of illicit drugs or alcohol is up. I have I've been hired on a couple DUI cases. I've got hired on two domestic violence cases. You know, when you get people cooped up for six weeks and they're drink, day drinking and all that, it's just a recipe for disaster. It's wonderful coming to work right now because my commute is about half. There's no cars, there's no traffic. I got a notice from USAA, my insurance company, that they're refunding $580 million because there's nothing going on. There's no accidents. So all this money that is pooled is being dispersed. Geico returned over $2 billion. Manny and I have two associates and we've got two paralegals. So we're a nice small firm. They've got kids. They've got mortgages. They've got car payments. We can't furlough anybody and not pay them. I just don't think it's fair but we have not received any PPP money. We've applied for it. PPP money is the Paycheck Protection Program loan that was made available to small businesses in an effort to keep people employed while business is down. Like Michael, I run a small private practice and we have four employees, including myself. Our business has seen a dramatic hit. We're probably 90% down from where we were this time last year. I have to tell you, the process of applying for PPP was a nightmare. When I'm recording this in late May of 2020, the banks and government systems have pretty well figured it out. But the application process in the beginning was brutal and it was extremely frustrating. 
And I'm speaking for not just me, but everybody else that I know who went through this process. People are having to scramble to reprioritize what bills get paid and when they get paid. People pay lawyers because, let's face it, they are inspired or maybe afraid of what the judge might do to them. And if the judge is not working because the courts are shut down, then people have much less incentive to hire a lawyer. I have many clients that are on payment plans. Front of the month comes up, you send out a bill to them. The overwhelming majority of them have asked for, you know, hey, look, can I just skip this month or skip two months? And, you know, I, I like all of my clients. I really do. I'm really blessed with some really great people. How can you say no to that? You know, they're hurting. It's not like they're going to go and frivolously waste this money and go on a trip to Italy because it's just not going to happen. But we are a business and I have a family I need to feed too. And that's why I explain to clients. And I think if you're straightforward with them and explain, hey, look, I know you're hurting, but we're all hurting. We all have to make some sacrifices. Let's figure out that something reasonable. I think that word reasonable is going to be a key word for the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. What's reasonable under the circumstances, of course. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. The Quip smart toothbrush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth. You can track when and how well you brush and get tips to improve your habits. You can also earn points for daily brushing and bonus points for completing challenges. Plus, you'll get your brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered starting at only $5 and shipping is free. How smart is that? Join over 5 million mouths who use Quip and save hundreds compared to other Bluetooth brushes when you get a Quip smart toothbrush for just $45. Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today. Go to getquip.com slash sworn right now to get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash sworn. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash sworn. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. Let's imagine a world where no one ever cuts corners. Potato chip bags are filled to the top or that car in front of you at the stoplight notices when it turns green. Well, a place like this exists where square pizzas are placed into square boxes and wings come in jumbo sides. We're talking about Lido Pizza with an all-new online ordering website for easy ordering. Lido Pizza is square because Lido Pizza never cuts corners. Check it out at LidoPizza.com. Let's face it, an important part of the legal system is timing and efficiency, for better or worse. There are many cases to get through every single day, and often the responsibility to move that business, as we say, falls in the hands of the judges. I wanted to hear more about how that responsibility is being handled and what judges are doing and can do to keep the justice system moving along. My name is Rob Leonard. I'm a Superior Court judge in uh, Cobb County, Georgia. We're a court of general jurisdiction. We handle pretty much everything from A to Z in both the civil and criminal world. The only thing that you really don't see in Superior Court is, is probating a will, like juvenile delinquency proceedings, uh, unless it's a really serious crime. Those can come to Superior Court uh, and get charged as adults. Pretty much if it can be filed in Cobb County, it can be filed in Superior Court for the most part. The average day before this pandemic was about like it had been for the last, I don't know, several hundred years in the court system. Court system dating all the way back to its origins. I mean, it was a public gathering. It was it was entertainment way back when, you know, before television and whatnot. Court proceedings, of course, have to be open to the public. And the way that we've always done things have required large gatherings of people. For example, if I was handling a criminal calendar, I would have a list of cases that would all get notice to appear in court on the same day. So let's say it was 50 cases, I would have I would have 50 defendants, I would have 50 lawyers, I would have the prosecutors, I would have some moms and dads and whoever was there for support, and I'd have a full courtroom. And that's, that's the way that we did business. And almost all of it 
was in person. So this has really caused us to rethink the way that we do business because we just can't keep people safe and continue those practices. I asked Judge Robert Leonard what official orders or directions he and other judges have received and issued regarding holding or stopping court, as well as what other decisions judges came to on their own. There have been several orders. There's been a couple that have come out of the Supreme Court. There was one that was issued here locally. We had a judge's meeting. We declared a judicial emergency in our circuit. Then the statewide order went into effect, and it it really has shut down the common sense things, like we can't be having large calendars. Uh, We can't be forcing people to come to court in groups. We're not ready and not going to be ready anytime soon to summon jurors and for jury selection. Each judge has the ability to go ahead and participate in video conference or teleconference hearings. If you look at Chief Justice Melton's order, the most recent one that came out gave a little more encouragement to go ahead and adopt this technology. So I think that we're going to see that it's going to become more widespread. But I've been using Zoom heavily. We're on Zoom right now uh, recording this. And uh, one of the frustrations has been getting lawyers acclimated with the software, getting some of the parties acclimated with the software. I mean, I'm relatively young for a superior court judge and picking up the technology hasn't been too big of a challenge, but 30, 45 days ago, I didn't know what Zoom was. And now I'm recording screencasts of the way that I set up my settings and I'm recording screencasts of how to conduct a hearing and how to operate breakout rooms and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm sharing it with colleagues on the bench to try to get everyone up to speed. You might imagine across our state, we've got judges that vary widely in age, vary widely with technology that's been available to them. And I'm sure we've got judges in this state that don't know how to get their email on their cell phone. And this is posing a real problem. I feel lucky that I'm able to conduct hearings. I've had court almost every day last week and every day this week so far. I think there's really essential staff right now is the support staff. Those are the folks that open the files, prepare the discovery, run the criminal histories. I think that's the biggest need right now in order to get stuff moving. One of the hurdles that I find in, in conducting these virtual court sessions that I've been doing is how do you satisfy public access, right? There's a constitutional right to an open courtroom and public access to the proceedings. So I can't just haul off and have court anytime I want to without telling anyone. My solution to that has been twofold. I'll make a list of cases that I'm going to hear virtually with the name of the case and the case number. I'll put a link onto Twitter and that link will go to the YouTube channel that I live stream to on Zoom. I think these changes, a good many of them, have the potential to stick long-term. You know, really it's on us that we let the old system go on for as long as it did, but it worked and there just wasn't any real reason to fix what had worked for so long. Like the other day, I did an adoption on Zoom for the first time. And it saved those people a lot of trouble and expense. Usually everybody's got to be there and so they would have had to have purchase plane tickets from Arizona in this particular case and we just got everybody on Zoom and, and did it that way and it wasn't a it wasn't a problem. So there are efficiencies that you can find in it and for that I think it's very workable. While judges have been able to hold some hearings and meetings online, the big question regarding criminal cases is what about a defendant's constitutional right to a trial in front of a jury of their peers, or to confront witnesses against them. That means being together in the same room. When are we going to get to jury trials is anybody's guess. My best guess is it's probably not something that can even be considered until kids are back in school, until you're going to an Atlanta Braves game. And I think we're going to have a real hard time 
feeling comfortable summoning that number of, of people to court and making them feel feel safe. We have an obligation to, to move the business. We have an obligation to make sure that the cases are working their way through and nobody's rights to speedy trial are being violated. This isn't really anyone's fault. You know, you can't say, well, this is the judge's fault or this is the state's fault or any or the defendant's fault or anything like that. It's just different. And it takes special considerations to try to figure out how are we going to do that. Now, we might get jury trials started back up sooner if we can figure out a way to do jury selection virtually. Like, for example, if we were able to check in jurors, give them an oath, conduct a jury selection on some technology like the one we're on now, then we could only have the 12 that got picked report. You can socially distance 12 people. You, you really are gonna struggle to do it with 42 or however many you know, that you think you need to pick your jury with. If you could think back to your days when you were a trial lawyer and not a judge and you were picking a jury, do you remember how important it was to you as an advocate to be in the same physical space with a prospective juror so that you could maybe get a close look at their body language or these intangible qualities that comes only with face-to-face -face human interaction. Do you remember that? And, and don't you think that's something that's important for lawyers when they are litigating cases? It's a nice leading question there, Mr. Holloway. I will tell you, I remember, you know, if I was a lawyer and, um, and I was going to have to pick a jury, I would much prefer to be in a courtroom with them where I can see and they can see me and I can hear. And if anything goes wrong, I can, I can fix it right then and there. I can make a record of it. You know, in person is going to be preferable always. And there are going to be cases where say, okay, uh, Mr. Holloway, I can get your case tried in 2020 if we're able to do virtual jury selection. I can find you something this fall. If we can't, I don't know when it's going to be. I can tell you we're coming up with a number of, of ideas and there will be a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C, and probably a D. I don't know. We'll just work through them. And those that we, that we can't because of an objection or maybe it's a kind of case that just doesn't lend itself to being handled in a virtual fashion. And that might just be something that has to wait a while. One thing that this legal shutdown has really pointed out to me and driven home is how many businesses really do depend on the courthouse being open. When you drive by the courthouse in any town, even where I live, I see restaurants, I see parking lots, and I see stores that depend on the courthouse crowd for all sorts of things. These businesses are hurting and some of them are shutting down some forever. One of the industries impacted like this is the bail bonding industry. We spoke with Shatira Harper, who works at a Georgia bail bonding office. We wanted to see how their business has been changed by the pandemic. My name is Shatira Harper. I am the administrator slash paralegal for a bail bonds agency here in Cobb County. On a normal day, I am responsible for basically keeping the wheels turning in my office. So like I am responsible for all of our case management, all of our files. In bail bonds, we have bond forfeiture hearings. So I'm in court a lot. So a lot of my mornings are going down to the courthouse for the bond forfeiture hearings, inputting files, drafting motions to send out to attorneys and things like that. So a bail bonds agency is basically like a company that will loan a defendant and their family the money to get out of jail. Once we know that amount, then, you know, we speak to the family um, and they pay us a percentage and then we post the full amount of the bond in order for that person to get out of jail. And once they've completed their case, we get our money back. People generally like to lay their eyes on us, especially when they're spending large sums of money. 
And then also we are in close proximity to the jail. So a lot of the time the family members are at the jail or the person has just gotten out of jail and we have documentation and things like that that we need for them to sign. So we do have a lot of foot traffic in our office under normal circumstances. I can't honestly say the exact moment that I knew that it would be a problem. I believe that when we all started being afraid for our health is when we started making changes. We used to have this large meeting table in the front room. Now we've removed that. We brought in more masks and gloves and more hand sanitizer and things like that. There was the creation of this digital document platform that we use now. And so instead of having people come in, you know, we send out the forms and they don't ever have to come into the office. So I think that it it just started with us starting to fear for our safety. The courts shut down probably, I think, March 16th or 17th. I do know that people are still working in the courthouse, but you cannot just walk into the courthouse as it was before. They're certainly not holding any of the hearings that I would attend. So the bond forfeiture hearings have now been shut down until it's, you know, safe for the courts to reopen. It has been challenging, but, you know, we still have been able to make it work. When the government pushed out what was considered essential business we were in fact on the list I guess the idea kind of was like if we have to keep the jails open if we have to keep the police officers out there we owe these people a right to get out of jail should they be arrested you know I took this job just personally because this is a service that people will always need in this county they arrest hundreds of people a day on a regular basis and so there's plenty of business to pick and choose from really common are duis and like simple battery obstruction of a law enforcement officer we have not seen a lot of that lately at all because people are not out you know that kind of keeps our ship afloat because we're counting on those we get those smaller bonds all the time those types of things that we see often that we haven't been seeing because people have been staying home I think the lowest that we saw was 13 people arrested in in 24 hours and then once they get arrested we are up against the judge just letting them sign their, themselves out on what's called their own recognizance bond which basically means that they don't have to pay any money they can just sign and say you know I promise to show up in court so that takes business away from us as well you know, you have the others that have done serious things that may have no bond. And then you have other businesses also vying for those few left in the barrel. So they've only arrested 13 people and six of them get to sign their own bonds. And then several different companies trying to get that same business. So, yes, we have seen a, a dramatic drop in business. I think that the long-term problem that I think about is just all of the people that have been released on signature bonds. That's going back to the owner cognizant bond that I was talking about. It's called, we call them signature bonds. Mainly because I live in this, the same community where I work and those people are in my community and you're letting them out and they don't have really any skin in the game, so to speak. I think that Having to post a bail and spend your hard-earned money to get out of jail is kind of a deterrent for future crime. And so as a member of this community, the idea of people just being set free without having any immediate repercussions for what they've done is scary to me. The times that we're living in are very trying and the circumstances are unusual. I have two small children and we were in Walmart and I was telling them, instead of telling people that you want them to keep their space from you, you just move. It's easier for you to say just move. But, you know, we've seen things where people fight because people are in their personal space and they want to protect their safety or people being pulled off of public transit because they don't have masks on. The entire world has had to make an adjustment to accommodate this virus that was unexpected and unknown. None of us know what to do. Being compassionate towards your neighbor, I think is something that I would like to see everyone doing.
in general, not just from a business standpoint. I want to tell you all about a new show, Hellstrom, from the Hulu original horror series. Hellstrom was produced by Marvel Television and is based on characters from the Marvel comics. It's essentially the story of a very complicated family. The show follows Damon and Anna Hellstrom, the son and daughter of a mysterious and powerful serial killer, as they track down the worst of humanity, each with their own attitude and skills. It's the story of two broken children who were estranged and raised separately, becoming two very different people. All episodes of Hellstrom are streaming now only on Hulu. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. The Quip smart toothbrush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth. You can track when and how well you brush and get tips to improve your habits. You can also earn points for daily brushing and bonus points for completing challenges. Plus, you'll get your brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered starting at only $5 and shipping is free. How smart is that? Join over 5 million mouths who use Quip and save hundreds compared to other Bluetooth brushes when you get a Quip smart toothbrush for just $45. Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today. Go to getquip.com slash sworn right now to get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash sworn. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash sworn. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. We spoke with an old friend of mine, Chief Mike Wilkie. Chief Wilkie is the chief of police in the city of St. Mary's, Georgia. St. Mary's is right on the coast and across the state line from Jacksonville, Florida. Chief Wilkie also is a professor of public administration and criminal justice. We spoke with him about the changes that he's had to make for himself and his officers now that social distancing is the new norm. Because let's face it, policing has always been an up and personal proposition. On an average day, all my personal uh, interaction is close. And of course, our officers are, you know, if they're taking reports, speaking with people, stopping people for speeding violations, all of their interaction is fairly close in. You know, we have a hospital, which is in the city, and there would be the occasional uh, need to go over there either to take somebody to the hospital that we had in custody or to respond to something in the emergency room where there was an issue there and they needed police intervention. So we felt like we were just as exposed as you could be. We had a pair of rubber gloves on our duty belt. And you know, if you get to a scene and somebody's bleeding all over the place, well, we know not to step in it, not to touch it. And that's really about all I think probably your average officer paid attention to. When the first COVID matters started coming out eight to 10 weeks ago. We just sort of backed up and said, what are we going to do? So we really went through the throes of trying to understand how to exercise some uh, protection for ourselves. We give masks to our folks and, you know, there's a little quibbling about whether or not you're going to wear a mask when you're in a police uniform. And, And my thought on it was, I don't care about the uniform. I care about the person. We need to do what we can to protect the individual. So masks and gloves became fairly standard. A business entity in town was concerned about this for the fire department and the police department, and they provided some funding for something that amounted to like a defumigator type of thing. And so we were daily driving our vehicles through once a day for for this device to be used to spray the interior so as clean and disinfected as it could be. Everybody sort of already had some of the hand sanitizers in their car and that sort of thing, but we really tried to make sure that everybody's got that now. We put in some regulations about entering the building, going in and out, making sure you use hand sanitizer. If you come to the building, first thing you do is go wash your hands. We did have one uh, of our personnel that showed up and tested positive for this. And so that gave us some consternation uh, for a time. 
So the fact that we had though somebody immediately in our department in this very rural county in southeast Georgia brought our radar right up that you know we need to be careful. Several of our people did go uh, for the testing and thankfully they all came back negative. We did not really get anything specific from uh, say the governor's office. The governor's executive orders were supposed to be enforced by the sheriff. These uh, local police were specifically written out. In subsequent iterations of that, local police were included. We have taken a posture of being educational. If there was, let's say, a restaurant and uh, you know, we heard that folks, you know, some of the white staff were not wearing masks, we might go by and say, hey, you know, let, let's make you aware of this because this is what the executive orders from the, from the government are. Restaurants and places like that are licensed entities and so the state does have some ability to control what they do. And we would say, you know, you folks need to have one mask. You know, would you please do that? And they'd say, oh yeah, sure, I'm so sorry. Or we ran out, but we're on the way to get some more or things like that. And so we have been, we've tried to be educational to it. I don't believe that any citations have been written by this agency, either on the law enforcement agency or from our code enforcement, which is kind of a separate entity within the city. We put in no changes of telling people not to make traffic stops or that sort of thing. We've left that discretionary. And so our personnel have continued to, to have that level of interaction from an enforcement standpoint with the public. We did make some internal change where if someone needed to report a stolen bicycle or something that was a fairly low level type of thing, the dispatcher would obtain a telephone number and we would take a, a report. And uh, that's actually worked out to be sort of a convenience for us and we may, we may continue that. Probably one of the biggest issues for us is that on occasion we've had to take someone into custody and take them to the jail which is operated by another law enforcement entity. And we've had some issues with people being accepted by the jail uh, because their temperature may have been slightly elevated or something of that nature. So it kind of made some, uh, a little bit of issue for our folks and whether or not we could even take someone to jail if they were under arrest. And that was particularly troublesome if it was a, you know, a felon. We asked Chief Wilkie whether his officers had seen any substantial increases or decreases in the types of calls they were answering. I asked our personnel so that I wasn't walking in uh, to this interview blind, uh, you know, if, they, if we've noticed anything of any increased activity, that, that sort of thing. And I really don't have any feedback from our personnel that that sort of thing has happened. The Georgia Association of Chiefs of Police did a survey of the agencies. I think that there were about 10% of them that responded that, that they had seen an increase in domestic violence type events. In our area, I don't think that it's really made a great deal of difference. The state of Georgia, where we're located, made headlines a while back for being one of the first states to begin the process of being reopened for business. I had heard that people were coming into Georgia from neighboring states to visit all kinds of businesses. Since Chief Wilkie's town is right across the border from Florida, I asked him if he'd seen Florida license plates around town. I can't not answer about the massages and tattoo parlors because I just don't personally keep up with them. We do have some uh, restaurants and establishments that are open in town now that maybe uh, one of their features is service of alcoholic beverage. And we have noticed uh, a number of Florida tags. Same thing with some churches in the area. And we, we didn't interfere with them, but we did look. And we noticed that there were several churches that just had a lot of Florida tags uh, in the parking lots. As a coastal city, Chief Wilkie's facing another problem just around the corner that he's also starting to prepare for. As to COVID-19, I'm coming to the understanding that the hotter it gets, the more difficulty that virus is going to have to survive. And so we're just praying that hot weather will hurry up and get here because fairly shortly we're going to start turning our attention to hurricane preparation and we don't want to be having to deal with both crises at the same time.
In the last week of March, I'd come home from a couple of round-trip flights, and after a few days, I found myself feeling this overwhelming sense of fatigue. I was flatly exhausted. I eventually started running a fever. It got up to about 102.5. I knew something was up. Something wasn't right. This was different. I'd never run a fever like this in years, and the chills and fatigue were unlike anything that I had experienced before. I didn't have a cough, but I checked in remotely with my doctor, some friends who are doctors, and even a family member who is a medical professional, and all of them said that this sounded exactly like COVID-19. Well, my wife made sure that I took pretty quick action. She moved me down to the basement for almost two weeks away from her and our kids. She fed me food through the door. She managed all of the regular and new household tasks that already were on her plate, including homeschooling our two children. It was frankly awful feeling so run down and watching my wife take on all of these responsibilities. I knew I needed to stay away from them, though, until I could get tested so I would not pass anything along to the rest of my family. Around 10 days into this ordeal, I made a telemedicine appointment with a nurse practitioner who ordered me the COVID-19 nasal swab. So I drove myself to a back parking lot of this medical practitioner's office where the workers had me swab my own nose for influenza and for COVID-19. The influenza test came back negative the same day. A couple of days later, lo and behold, the COVID test was negative too. So I immediately rejoined my family. I was feeling better by that point, but I wasn't completely well. But since they told me I did not have COVID-19, I felt it was safe to go ahead and become a part of my family again. As time went on, and after discussing my situation with more medical professionals, I wasn't convinced about that negative COVID test, so I went to get the antibody test. It was a blood draw, and it could see if your body had actually fought off this virus, and lo and behold, it came back positive. I had had it. Luckily, nobody in my family got sick. In fact, my wife had the antibody test and hers was negative. I don't know how that happened, but I'm grateful that it did. There's still so much confusion about this disease. My doctor told me that I probably have some immunity, but who knows if it's going to last for very long at all. Maybe it will get me by until there's a vaccine. We just don't know. And like everyone we interviewed here said, no one knows how long social distancing and business shutdowns can last. But like Shatira said, I think it's important to be compassionate with each other, to be patient, and to try as best we can to keep each other safe. I hope you all out there are taking care of yourselves and the people around you. I know I am. Until next time. Stay safe, stay sane, and keep an eye out this summer for the wide release of Sworn Season 2. Sworn is a production of Tenderfoot TV and iHeartMedia. Our lead producer is Christina Dana. Executive producers are Payne Lindsay and Donald Albright for Tenderfoot TV, Matt Frederick and Alex Williams for iHeartMedia, and myself, Philip Holloway. Additional production by Trevor Young, Mason Lindsay, Mike Rooney, Jamie Albright, and Hallie Beadall. Original music and sound design by Makeup and Vanity Set. Our theme song is Blood in the Water by Layup. Show art and design is by Trevor Eiler. Editing by Christina Dana. Mixing and mastering by Mike Rooney and Cooper Skinner. Special thanks to the team at iHeartMedia. From UTA, Oren Rosenbaum and Grace Royer, Ryan Nord and Matthew Papa from The Nord Group, Beck Media and Marketing and Station 16. 
I'd also like to extend a very personal and special thanks to all of our contributors and guests who have helped to make all of these episodes possible. You can find Sworn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sworn Podcast. And follow me, your host, Philip Holloway, on Twitter at PhilHollowayESQ. Our website is SwornPodcast.com, and you can check out other Tenderfoot TV podcasts at www.tenderfoot.tv. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at sworn at tenderfoot.tv or leave us a voicemail at 404-410-0441. As always, thanks for listening. I met Phil years ago when he worked at the Cobb County District Attorney's Office, and I thought Phil was a complete dick. He, uh, he was very, very difficult to work with. Phil was no nonsense, and we probably should have hated each other, but years later, we're still friends. In fact, I was in his wedding. Quibi is a new streaming service with fresh original stories that unfold in minutes. With over 100 spooky new episodes for Halloween, they've got the blood-curdling screams to last you every day this October. Their Quick Bites of Fright collection is made for our fans. They've got classic murder mysteries, but also have fun new concepts that explore true crime in the worlds of home renovation and even fashion. Download Quibi in the App Store today to get streaming. That's Quibi, spelled Q-U-I-B-I. I want to tell you all about a new show, Hellstrom, the Hulu original horror series. Hellstrom was produced by Marvel Television and is based on characters from the Marvel comics. Right in time for Halloween, it's a mature, suspenseful, mysterious, scary, action-packed series. It's the story of two broken children who were estranged and raised separately, becoming two very different people. All episodes of Hellstrom are streaming now, only on Hulu.